Welcome back to another edition of Broomsticks and Butterbeer. I'm Dan Rhino. I'm Jessica Rhino. We are continuing the seemingly never-ending journey through Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And we find ourselves finishing Chapter 32 last time and moving on to Chapter 33 this time. 33! Last time, Chapter 20... Uh, I'm sorry, 32. Got dyslexic there for a second. Sorry. It's called Momentary Dyslexia. It's... Uh, an affliction that affects uh, dozens of people. I have that too. No, yours is just straight up. No, dys- it's, it's momentary. It's just whenever I look at numbers. I'm sure there's like numerical dyslexia or something like that. They told me when I was little, like, you know, my mom had me tested. They said that I was also dyslexic with letters. But. I don't, I don't notice that anymore. Like, I've no, there's no proof of that. Who cares what they think? Chapter 32 last time. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody cares, Jess. We're moving on. Was flesh, blood, and bone. Uh, Those are not members of Bone Thugs in Harmony. What? (laughs) It's the thuggish, ruggish bone. See you at the crossroads. Okay, there we go. Now I know what we're talking about. I was like, I don't, I still don't know. I mean, Ced- I know they're a thing, but I couldn't think of any music by them. Cedric and Harry grab the Triwizard Cup. Turns out it's a port key, which transports Cedric and Harry to a graveyard. A hooded figure, which turns out to be Wormtail, approaches and casts the Killing Curse on Cedric. And our Hufflepuff hero is gone. Wormtail restrains Harry against a headstone, pulls over a large cauldron, and starts starts brewing up a nasty concoction. Wormtail throws a creepy alien baby in the cauldron, along with bone dust from the grave, some blood from Harry, and Wormtail Wormtail chops his hand off and throws it in there too. And this all leads to naked Voldemort rising out of the cauldron, and the Dark Lord is back. There's a lot of gross in that chapter. Mm -hmm. So much gross. Those are my Cliff's notes. Yeah? Did you know it was Cliff's notes and not Cliff notes? That's probably a Mandela effect thing. I looked it up. I heard somebody the other day say Cliff's notes, and apparently there was a guy named Cliff. <laughs> I was going to say, so, so Cliff, like, is a guy? Yeah, it was a guy oh, named okay. Cliff. I don't know if it was his first name or last name. I didn't delve too deep into it. But those little yellow and, and black books that you could get mm-hmm. are called Cliff's notes. I always thought they were Cliff notes. I don't know why, because Cliff doesn't really make sense either. No, it doesn't. Like, it makes more sense like, that I it was a guy. This, I want to throw this stupid book off a cliff if I don't. If somebody doesn't summarize this book for me. I'm throwing it off a cliff. Yeah, that makes sense. But those are my Cliff's notes, or my Dan's notes. Dan's notes, there you go. The last chapter. And chapter like, 33. this whole thing is Dan's notes. This is Dan's notes. And this was hard to do these last couple of chapters, because it was so... Especially this chapter was so, I don't know if this is a word, but it was so monologue Monologue-y. It is now. Now it's a word. It was like, you know how like if you want to try out for local theater, they say you have to do a, perform a monologue? <laughs> <laughs> Voldemort was trying out for community theater in this chapter, and he just wouldn't stop. It's that episode of The Office where Michael performs an entire episode of Law & Order or something like that as <laughs> his monologue. And that's kind of what Voldemort was doing. So it was hard to, it was hard to do notes for this chapter because I kind of just felt that like I was copying things out of the book almost. 
because he was just talking a bunch. Yeah, it was but a lot of information. Wanna, too. I didn't want to gloss over. Right, and that's the other reason I didn't want to gloss over anything because there was a lot of information that we got. But the way that it was given to us, I guess, was just kind of in an uninteresting way. Oh, I feel like either way it was going to be inf- info dumping is what it's called in books. Oh, that's info- a, I was like, did you make that up? No. that's amazing. No, it's an info dump. And But I think she was trying to deliver it in a way that, you know, stayed in the story. And Harry <laughs> Potter! <laughs> so it, I must <laughs> tell you my story! But every villain has to do it. Beginning. The and villain's very gotta talk. Slowly. <laughs> well, Voldemort is pretty excited to have his body back here in chapter 33, which is titled The Death Eaters. And he's kind of studying and admiring his body. And meanwhile, Wormtail's just bleeding out on the ground. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how he hasn't bled out yet. Like, like I know wizards are supposed to be a little more durable. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we really push it in this chapter. Mm-hmm. With You know, his robes are soaked with blood and he's just and you know, out. And you and know the, that it wasn't like And he's a, just talking for a long time. It wasn't like a sterile, you know, he didn't like boil the instrument in water before he chopped his hand off. So there's probably like an immediate infection setting in on top of everything <laughs> else. He probably needs a, a couple doses of antibiotics. Uh, maybe... Uh, uh, Maybe what's the tetanus shot? Yeah, maybe a tetanus shot, <laughs> maybe a rabies shot. I don't know. Uh, but Wormtail or Voldemort looks at Wormtail's forearm, and the same dark mark that appeared in the sky at the Quidditch Cup shows up on Wormtail. So, is this like a like a hidden magic tattoo? Like, how does it work? Yeah, so it's kind of weird, and I kind of was confused when I read about it again because. So in the books, I don't know if it's ever directly explained, but so all the Death Eaters have that tattoo, is what we always think of it as, and like it like faded when Voldemort lost his power, mm-hmm. and then they said, you know, we had other characters mention that it's coming back, and things like that, but when Harry saw it on Wormtail, he said it looked more like a brand. And I'd never really heard it described as that. It, I always thought it was just like a faded tattoo. Like mm-hmm. it was still kind of there. You could still kind of tell it was there, but it was faded. And then it didn't make sense that, like, he came, Voldemort came back alive. He's got power again, but the tattoo didn't turn black again until he touched it and made it darken was a little strange. Like, it wasn't really how I always pictured it or thought of it working. So this tattoo is kind of like the... Like the gang symbol, like the gang tattoo for (laughs) Voldemort's crew. Yeah, but it's also like the... I want to say like, you know, Penny's digital watch. It's like he calls them with it. Mm -hmm. He can call them and they all know... Was that an Inspector Gadget reference you just dropped? (laughs) For those of you that are under the age of 40, 
<laughs> Check out Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget was, He's a, actually, was a television show, in the 19, a television cartoon in the 1980s. Inspector Gadget was kind of stupid as an idea, but he had this niece, Penny, who was awesome, and her dog, Brain, Brain yeah. and they could communicate using her her computer watch. And it was ahead of its time. Uh, yeah, it was basically an Apple Watch, but it was Penny's computer watch, and she had a computer book too. I loved it. I, I every book was my computer book. Amazing. And then Brain had a special collar that had mm. like microphones that came out, and he could talk into and, it. And Inspector Gadget was kind of based on the the TV show Get Smart, which had like the shoe phone. Uh, I think it was even the same actor that did the voice, or was the actor in Get Smart, was the voice of Inspector Gadget. And it was kind of the same premise, is that he's like this bumbling, like, private detective kind of guy. But through luck and happenstance and the help of his niece and his and her dog, <laughs> he always seems to triumph over the evil Dr. Claw. Dr. Claw. You talk like this. <laughs> Gadget. And he had a weird cat. He did. Uh, all, all, the, right. all the bad guys in 80s cartoons had cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Smurfs, there was a cat. And yeah, cats are cats are evil. And so that's why, that's why all the bad guys had cats. Uh, but yeah, that was the, uh, the Penny Watch reference that you just made in case Sorry. anybody missed it. We went on a... <laughs> Two-minute soliloquy about... Had to explain about, about the thing that I was using to explain about something else. Whenever whenever we mention something that I know Anastasia is too young oh, for... Oh, no. She's all over <laughs> I go, I see Anastasia magazines were these periodicals that she <laughs> used to be printed. So She's mad. like, I know what magazines are! We have them at the library <laughs> in the antique section. Right. Uh, well... Voldemort gets very James Bond villain in this chapter. You, you understand my reference? Yeah. There? All villains have to have their little... But particularly in the James Bond movies, where... I don't think I've ever seen a James Bond movie, but by it's, the way. It's, it's just a very well-known thing that the villain always has to describe every little minutia of his plan and how James Bond got into this precarious situation. Mm-hmm. They oh. put a lot of work into it, babe. There are a lot of little details, lots of moving parts, lots of irons in the fire, juggling the balls. You get like, what's the point of doing it if people don't know about it? Exactly. It's like the people that donate to charities, and then they have to tell everybody about it because what's the point of giving to a, a needy cause if you don't tell everybody about it and they don't praise you for it? Or the person who catches the foul ball at the baseball game <laughs> and presents it to a child but he does it in a very grandiose way as to let ev- to draw attention to himself to let him know that i am a superior level of kind human being and i am presenting this ball to the child lay uh thy uh warmth and reveille upon me this is like True life. We sat behind a group of guys at the Chicago Cubs game in Chicago, and he went on and on about how he never tried. He doesn't. He doesn't want to catch a foul ball. He doesn't ever catch a foul ball. But if he did catch a foul ball, he would give it to a child. And I have to clean this up. Like he was a hero. Mm-hmm. Like he'd saved a child from a burning building. Mm-hmm. And he would make a big, big deal out of it and make himself this grand hero to give his foul ball to a yeah, child. Yeah, Cubs fans are the worst. 
Just yet, yet another, <laughs> Sorry, another example. Sorry, Catherine. Uh, I don't know if Catherine's a Cubs or a White Sox person, but she's up in Chicago, so. Please let it be the White yeah, Sox. Yeah, God, please. <laughs> but lots of monologuing, as I said earlier, from Voldemort in this chapter. First off, we learned that Voldemort was born to a muggle father and a witch mother. We learned that Voldemort's father abandoned the family when he learned that the, his wife was a witch. And we learned that Voldemort's mother died during childbirth and Voldemort was placed in a muggle orphanage. We also learned that this is why Voldemort ended up killing his father, one Tom Riddle Sr. And this is really his villain origin story, isn't it? Yeah, but how does he know all this? That's the one thing he doesn't explain. Magic, babe. Magic, babe. And then I was also confused because he compared his father, the Muggle, to Harry's mother? But she was a witch, but she was Muggle-born, but that just wasn't a very good comparison. Like, I didn't... He's... He hasn't been in a body for very long, so oh, let's not judge him on like on, on the analogies that he's making here. <laughs> he's not... He's not... Uh, like ACT test ready right now with his, <laughs> with his analogies. I'm reading along. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. What? What? No, that doesn't really line up. Well, like you said, you said that, like, how does he know all this? But we're, we assume that this is all true. And I don't want to go as far as to say that I feel sorry for him. But kind of like Draco, once you see that the upbringing they've had or the stuff they've had to go through, it kind of makes it more understandable why they are the way they are, mm -hmm. doesn't it? And that's just... Honestly, that's just good storytelling. Uh, because if a person is just bad just because they it's fun to be bad, then that's not really a good villain. You know, we've said in the past that a good villain is somebody who thinks that what they're... they're they think that they're the good guy. Here. Yeah, that what they're doing is right, yeah. that they're helping, that they're fixing a problem. And before anybody gets too up and up, I think we do find out later how he knows all this stuff. But I just, as I was reading it, I was like, but how do you know this? Probably a magic cereal bowl or something that <laughs> told him all of it we could, that we could see into the past with. We, we know that those exist. Uh, but right after a bunch of witches and wizards start apparating, is that the correct uh, yeah. verb? Apparating. Verbature. Verbature. <laughs> Ver verbiage. Uh, they just popped up. Start popping up in the graveyard, and they're all cloaked and masked, and these are the followers of Voldemort. So, the dark mark is kind of like an evil bat signal? Yeah, no, it's the, it's the penny watch. He called them all on it when he touched it. Mm -hmm. So, when he touched Wormtails, he called everybody. Right. And they, they came. I just want, like, a montage of all of them just, like, Hearing like the the call or something, and they like put down their their oatmeal and <laughs> in the newspaper, and go and pull out the the black cloak from the back right. of the closet, dust, dust off the evil mask. That's what I want. Get I the, want a get the mask from the child who's playing with it in the other room, and there's something there. There's something there. Well, instead of a big evil happy family reunion, we get Voldemort kind of. Laying a guilt trip on all his followers. What's that all about? <laughs> I don't know, but right as you're saying this, I'm picturing uh, last night, the episode of The Office, when Michael left and came back and he was like, you guys all owe me an apology. <laughs> That's pretty much what it was. The same episode. 
just performed a little differently. So, I mean, Vol- shouldn't Voldemort be pleased that his followers, like, are pretty instantaneously returning to him? Well, but not everybody does, and nobody bothered to find him. Although, he he says very... Says several times that he went like very far and deep into the forest, hidden away. I'm like, well, then how are they like, supposed bro, to find you? You literally said you were hidden. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's mad because they didn't come find him. That's like less than a needle in a haystack. <laughs> <laughs> literally anywhere in the world, and you were in some deep dark forest, hidden. That's like a needle in a hay warehouse. Yes. You know. But uh, they were supposed to come find him. I don't know. I just thought that he'd be, you know, things are kind of starting to go his way again. He's got his body back. He's got his his crew back. He's got Harry in a precarious yeah, position. Yeah, but he's got to kind of like verbally beat them into submission again. To like be extra willing to make up for their faults and their shortcomings. I guess. And but do that's whatever just, he that's wants. That's not how you retain employment. You know, in, employees. <laughs> he's the dark lord, babe. Yeah. He's not. He's not. Just, a people I'm person. I'm just saying, you know, that you're going to find... Your, not gonna, Hufflepuff. You're going to find yourself in a uh, an employment shortage here and not too long if you keep treating your your minions like that. Well, he, he praised Wormtail. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> it was kind of like the backdoor compliment. Like, Wormtail came back to me even though he only did it because he was... Like he's afraid just, of his uh, f- yeah. former friends, <laughs> and he performed a spell that I hand fed to him, even though I didn't think he'd be smart enough to do it. <laughs> he I accomplished were, it. I thought you were a complete idiot. Turns out you're not a complete idiot. If I tell you exactly what to do, you can perform things. So, uh, you know, Voldemort's going on about maybe you abandoned me because you thought I wouldn't come back. Stupid idea. Maybe you thought that Dumbledore was stronger than me. Idiots. And then he just starts torturing people. Yeah. <laughs> He's very emotional right now. He's in hey, a very <laughs> uneasy He just got his body emotion- back. We're talking about his brain here. not being quite settled. But then Voldemort does do something kind of nice. Yeah. He gives Wormtail a new magic hand. Magic hand. And I'm trying to kind of envision what this is, but there was this, in in the Aquaman comics for a while, Aquaman got his hand chopped off, and they had like a harpoon for his hand for a while. But then he had like this magic water hand. It was like made out of magic water, and it looked like a hand. I think that was just because the writers didn't want to right or the artist didn't want to draw a harpoon anymore it's like it'd be nice if he could just grab things yeah you know but is that so they just drew it normal and then colored one hand blue i guess like kind of translucent yeah so like what kind of what is he is he got like like a like a little smoky hand hand. no he said it's silver it's like a silver metal hand okay it was like a robot hand yeah robot hand so it is a Luke Skywalker hand. <laughs> he is he a Jedi? No. Okay. No. He's got the robe. He's got the hand, but he is. Not a Jedi. He seems like a Jedi. Can do magic stuff, move things with. Yeah. <laughs> little Jedi-ish. Uh, some of the other Death Eaters here may seem familiar. We got Lucius Malfoy, Draco's dad, is here, along with 
crab and goyles dance? dance? Yeah, for a second I'm like, they're, what? They're there? But then, like, the very next line, he says, Mr. Goyle, and I was like, oh, okay, so dads, got it. Yeah, that took me a, it, and I think J.K. Rowling might have put that in there just because, like, we've always referenced the kids as Crab and Goyle, mm-hmm. and then when Voldemort says Crab and Goyle, and he goes, Mr. Crab, <laughs> Mr. Goyle. <laughs> yeah, like, huh. Well, no, I think, yeah, it was Harry who... Like his thought or something said, then Voldemort moved on from Mr. Goyle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just know like later, you know, he starts recruiting. So I'm gonna folk. I'm gonna so. say something here that may rub fans <gasps> the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But I'm nervous. It just seems a little too convenient for me that all of Harry's an- antagonists at Hogwarts have parents that just happen to be Voldemort's most loyal followers. It just seems a little... Three? It just seems a little bit lazy to me. Well, but it makes sense. It's like J.K. Rowling's going, you you guys remember Crab and Goyle? Remember? Remember? You know how they're bad? Well, their dads are bad, too. (laughs) But they all run in the same circle, so of course Crab and Goyle are friends with Malfoy. The children are all friends because the dads are all friends. Or at least they kind of work together. I don't know, it just seems a little lazy to me. No. <laughs> no. 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 Okay. Just my opinion. Uh, we also find out that eight Death Eaters are missing. Two are the Lestranges, currently in Azkaban. Of the other six, three are dead. One is too cowardly to return. Mm-hmm. One has apparently abandoned Voldemort forever. And must die. And one has been pulling the strings behind the scenes at Hogwarts all this time. Yep. More monologuing from Voldemort after this. Like I said, like he's auditioning for local theater. And he tells what this mysterious follower at Hogwarts has been doing, along with how Voldemort has been surviving all this time, how Bertha Jorkins fits into all this. Um, and I didn't write down all of this in my notes because it was just a little... It was a lot to kind of take in. Can you kind of give the Cliff's notes of like what this person at Hogwarts has been doing and how it kind of applies to everything else, all the other moving parts in the book so far? Yeah, well, I kind of forgot... About, well, I didn't forget about Bertha Jorkins, but I forgot how she really connected. Apparently, Wormtail brought her, ran into her, brought her to Voldemort. They sucked all the memories out of her brain and used all the information about the Triwizard Tournament, what's going to happen, who the contacts are. He realized he had somebody that he could feed information to and request favors and actions from on the inside. So that person basically set everything up to make sure that Harry was into the tournament, that he won the tournament, that he was the one who touched the cup. So it's all a big setup. Harry's really not <laughs> that great at all of these things. Yeah, that was a, that's a little <laughs> wah, wah. That was a little disappointing. They made sure you won. I mean, he still did stuff. He did stuff that they didn't anticipate. He's like, I still did stuff. But, you know, and we did comment that he had a lot of people trying to jump on to help him. 
So we know one of those now is the the one who's been pulling all the strings. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people here that could be uh, suspects. Mm-hmm. You know, we have we know that that Snape is always a suspect <laughs> whenever anything <laughs> comes, whenever anything evil comes up. Uh, we know that uh, Karkarov, of course, is a uh, former Death Eater himself, could be a potential suspect. We know that uh, Ludo Bagman has given some help to Harry. Uh, we and know done that some sketchy things. We know that Mad Eye Moody has given some some help to Harry, uh, whether indirectly or or not. Uh, we know that Dobby has given some help <laughs> to Harry. I don't want to throw what? Dobby. I don't want to throw Dobby wow. under the bus here. But hey, wow. if we're just talking about people who have helped him considerably, yeah, Hermione. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I was like, well, then what about Hermione? Hold on, we got something. Stop! 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 There you go. I had to find it. <laughs> you were trying to read upside down. I was. But uh, Voldemort wants to prove that the last time Harry survived his wrath was a fluke. And Voldemort wants to prove this by killing Harry in front of the Death Eaters. And Voldemort's even going to give Harry a, a fighting chance by giving him his wand back. Yeah, after he's been cut open, bled, tortured... And not to mention all of the other drama that happened before he even arrived at the at the graveyard. So, you know, a little rundown. He's a little rundown right now. But sure, it's a fair fight. So, it's also a child. So, uh, yes. Also, <laughs> a, a, a wizard hasn't even finished wizarding school. Yeah. Is this just an insecurity thing by Voldemort wanting to do it with... You know, do the deed with everybody watching, and I'm even going to give him his wand to you know just to show you that you guys think so highly. Everybody thinks so highly of him. I'm going to, uh, well, do him in while he's you know got a fighting chance. It is, but also from his perspective, or his he needs he needs to do this. He was supposedly the most powerful wizard ever and he lost it all to a baby and that was that became famous everyone talked about it he was got beat beat by by, a baby and so he kind of needs this to happen and he needs it to happen with a lot of witnesses who can then go back and and you know change the story be like yeah that was a fluke really the kid was nothing. He even gave him his wand. He, he's, you know, fighting chance, and it was nothing. Killed him like that was over and done with. Wasn't even a fight. So this is, that's really the end of the chapter here. We, we spent the last two chapters entirely in this graveyard. Looks like we're going to spend the next chapter, at least a, a portion of it, uh, in the graveyard and kind of have a our first real one-on-one battle between Harry and Voldemort. We've had kind of some indirectly, uh, whether it is the uh, fighting the Voldemort that was in the back of uh, Quirrell's head, <laughs> or fighting the, uh, uh, you know, the the young Tom Riddle 
version uh, in book two. So this will be the first like real smackdown between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But Harry's like you said, he's in a precarious situation and at a very big disadvantage. No matter how much Voldemort wants to make it seem that that it's fair, that it's, it's a fair fight, not. Uh, and that's it for chapter thirty-three. We do have an email today. Is there oh. anything else you wanted to add? Uh, no, I just figured we'd say hi to all of our friends that we made at the science center. Oh yeah, uh, we did a uh, so the St. Louis Science Center does these events called First Fridays. First Friday of every month, they kind of have a geeky themed uh, event, and the science center stays open late. And it's a it's a free event, and they it always has a different theme. They've done Harry Potter nights, they've done Star Wars, they've done Batman, and we just happened to uh, set up a table there, and we're giving away some buttons and bookmarks for the podcast, and also doing some uh, free raffle drawings. Giveaway, yeah, yeah, raffling free drawings for uh, Harry Potter merchandise, and uh, met a lot of new people and a lot of new listeners to the podcast, and I saw a lot of. Uh, the people that we met have liked us on Facebook as well. So uh, if you are uh, joining us via the St. Louis Science Center events, we're hoping... Ho- hopefully you went back and started on the first episode, chapter one. Like the but if you're like book. Jane, but then, you're you, just now then you roll catching through up. them in a now couple you days. Know, now you know this is where you we were at when you met us. Yeah, if you're like Jane, she you know, binged like 80-something episodes and got all caught up. And she's like, where's the new stuff? Where's the new stuff at? It's coming. But yeah, hi to everybody who we met at the St. Louis Science Center the other night. Hopefully we'll do a lot more of those events and give away some more stuff and meet some more people. But another way to connect with us is via Twitter and email. And our Twitter is at BroomsticksB. No spaces, no underscores. Broomsticks followed by the letter B. And our email is broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. And this is where this email comes from. It's from Nancy in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Nancy. And Nancy says, Hi, guys. I love the show. And I've wanted to send a question, but could never think of a really intriguing one until now. Ooh. Back in Philosopher's Stone, when Hagrid rescues Harry and from the Dursleys on the hut on the rock, it's said that Hagrid and Harry take the Dursleys' boat back to the mainland. Mm-hmm. If this is true... And how did the Dursleys get off the island? <laughs> Thanks for the entertainment. The answer, Nancy, is we don't care. <laughs> Nobody cares. I was sure you were going to say magic, babe. <laughs> no, not magic for them. They're horrible and they hate magic. I'm going to assume there was some kind of like, you know, whoever the the cabin belonged to. Probably was like, hey, those people never came back and checked in, never paid me, whatever. And he so he probably checked on them and found them stuck there and brought them back. That's a boring answer, but that's the real world answer. Got it. Not Magic Bane. I guess I never really thought about it. I mean, it said in the book that Hagrid, like, flew there, I, I think. But it didn't really say, like, how he flew there, because he didn't... Yeah, they don't really explain it. You know, I, I think they've said in the book that he's, like, too heavy for a broom. Mm-hmm. But they, apparently, Hagrid and Harry took the boat back to the mainland and yeah. just left the Dursleys there. Maybe he... Because he has the flying motorcycle, so maybe he took it, but then sent it back? 
Like maybe go home, boy. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Why wouldn't you just? I don't know why he wouldn't just take the motorcycle. Then? Maybe there's not room for him and Harry. Oh, I'm sure there's a sidecar. No, I didn't, maybe they didn't. They didn't attach it till later. Okay. And it's a like a regular sized person motorcycle. Hagrid's kind of not big for that. Mm. So I'm guessing there was no, and probably Harry didn't have a helmet, and mm, maybe yeah, Dumbledore first. said, "Don't take that kid on that bike." Safety first. And so, because the only option probably would have been for him to ride on the handlebars, and that's you know not oh, appropriate. No. no, 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 no. We don't want to be convinced. We don't want to be uh, you know, trying to show kids that that is an acceptable it's form not. of transport, even it's though not. we did that many times. <laughs> Those are on bicycles. That's different. This is a motorbike. Well, thanks, Nancy, from Jacksonville. We appreciate the email. And you can email us, broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com, and we'll give you a shout-out on the air. Uh, even if you just want to say nice things about the show, even if you don't have a question, we'll still give you a shout-out on the air. And you can do that on Twitter as well, or Facebook. Uh, follow us on Twitter, like I said, at broomsticksb. Follow us on Facebook. Just search for Broomsticks and Butterbeer, and you can fi- find out when all the new episodes are dropping. And uh, thanks for downloading, listening, and subscribing on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's so much information. I just tune out while you start going. Anytime I talk, you tune out. That's not true. (laughs) You go, huh? Huh? But sometimes you'll you'll absorb little bits and pieces of it, and you'll say, Did you hear that blah, 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 blah? I go, yeah, I heard. I'm the one who told you. And you go, huh? What? <laughs> but babe. It's fine, babe. It's fine. Uh, that was chapter 33, The Death Eaters. We've only got a few chapters left, Jess. Just a couple, and then we watch the movie. And we'll be finished up soon with Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So thanks again, to everybody, for listening and spreading the word. Uh, shout out to Kelly. Who just had her baby. So shout out to Olivia. Kelly and Olivia in Manhattan. Uh, Shout out to Jane. Shout out to Catherine, Anastasia, and especially Jennifer in Orange County. Since you left her to the end, you got especially it. Especially Jennifer, who says she's a Gryffindor, but it's really a Hufflepuff. Oh, yeah. We learned (laughs) last night she was totally a Hufflepuff. She's still not going to admit it. Did we learn it last night, or have we known for a while? we've always known, but she proved it last night by choosing... We're playing a game where she had to choose money, a shield, or a sword, and she chose the shield. As did I, because we just just (laughs) curl up, we roll onto our backs, we show our bellies. (laughs) We are not a threat! Please be our friend! If she was a Gryffindor, she would have grabbed that sword. Slytherin would have grabbed the money. And the Ravenclaws weren't even involved. Because we weren't playing, we were reading a book. Would have found a book. Yeah. Which wasn't even an option. So, uh, shout out to everybody for uh, following us along on this journey. Until next time, I am Dan Rhino. I'm Jessica Rhino. And we'll see you then. Bye. You have to believe.